I, I've often found myself pondering the, the question, it's a preacher's question, does anybody remember last week's sermon? Um, I've suggested to you that I will focus on a few of the commandments each Sunday between now and Easter. And I hope to, today to, show, to help you see that there is a connection between the, the gospel reading um, and the two commandments that I'd like to bring our attention to today. The third and the fourth commandments um, today are, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number three, and the fourth commandment, thou shalt keep holy the Sabbath day. And then Jesus teaching about healthy trees and false prophets. And I do believe that they are connected. I hope I might make that clear to you all. When I was a little boy, and I was fortunate like Bradley to be in the service often at the beginning of the Sunday, I, I've often remembered um, a custom that was common in my day. Mike, I don't know if this has been something you've known, maybe some others have, but once a year, there was what was called in my childhood Men's Corporate Communion Sunday. Nope, you haven't heard that. And then maybe it was just in our diocese, but on that day, all the men of the church were invited to come to the early service uh, and then stay for breakfast. And so um, what would normally be a smaller service, the first one of the day, in those days, as though by the commandment of God, it was always at 8 o'clock. But... but um, but here it's at 8.30. That, that would normally be a much smaller service, but on that day it would fill with men. And my father would always take me. And I remember the first time that he did, it was my responsibility going with the men to wear a tie, which was how it was in those days. And he put one of his ties on me. And there's a picture of me and my dad that day and the tie reaches to my knees. But where am I going with that silly remembrance or that fond remembrance? It is that I heard the Ten Commandments recited every Sunday as a child. Um, because it was also at the later service, always recited. Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, we said the Ten Commandments. And I don't remember thinking about it much as a child. I don't remember pondering it or praying over it. But I do know this that it deeply imprinted in me that there were rights and wrongs in life. And God had made it very clear what was right and what was wrong. And of course, as I'll try to teach later today in the Galatians class, um, the, the law was given to us for a good purpose. Um, and it, and it, it, it prepares us, it prepares us for the day that we face the reality that we can't keep the law. We know it. We know that it's there. We know that it's right. We know that it's true. We know that it's good. But little by little over a lifetime, we begin to realize, I can't keep it. I can't, I can't do this. I, can't, I, I want to do this, but I can't do this. And what the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us is it prepares us for the day that we realize that and we realize what God has done in Christ to deliver us 
from the guilt of our sins into the new life that Christ gives to those who turn to him in faith and believe in him and receive the spirit of God to walk in newness of life. But we never, ever are commanded or told to walk away from God's teaching of the moral law. When, when I was a kid, if I heard, don't take the name of the Lord my God in vain, I thought it meant swearing. Can I get a witness? Okay. I remember another time, I must have been 10, 11 years old, my father had one of his childhood friends uh, from another town come by unexpectedly. And the two of them were dear friends in their growing up years. And they hadn't seen one another for a long, long time. And um, he stayed for three or four hours. It, it consumed the day, as I remembered. It must have been a weekend, a Saturday or Sunday. And when, when he finally left, I was in my room probably reading a book or doing something. And my dad came in and sat down and he was very serious. And he said, he said, Johnny, you know, Charlie Seifert is a really good friend of mine, but did you notice anything funny about him? And I said, well, he has an odd-shaped head. Because <laughs> he did. And my dad said, no, Johnny, his language, his language. And it had gone right past me. But he was a pretty prolific swearer. And, uh, and, and that was not heard in my household growing up. And so my dad wanted to point that out to me. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Nowadays, if any of you are still watching um, things on television, you know that the only time you're going to hear the name of the Lord on TV, it's going to be a swear, swear word. No matter how vile, no matter how awful, no matter how perverted the things on Netflix, Primetime, Hulu, Showtime, all those things are, no matter how awful they are, the, the way they determine to really be upset is to curse in the name of Jesus. I'm sure you've noticed that and seen that. And there's no doubt in my mind that God does not want us to curse in that way, that we are... We are, we are to let no obscene talk come from our mouths. Or as the old King James says, I think, no filthy speech is to come from the mouth of a follower of God, a lover of God. And Jesus teaches us, as does the word of God given to Israel, that one day we will be judged by every word we have ever uttered. But there's another way that I've come in my lifetime to understand not taking the name of the Lord in vain. And I think it's more important. I really shouldn't say that. It's important to obey all of God's word. But there is another way that we can take the name of the Lord in vain and that others take the name of the Lord in vain. And that is when we say a thing is from the Lord and it is not. Or we put the, names, the name of the Lord on our, on our thinking and our behaving, and it is not. It is not what the Lord thinks. It is not what the Lord teaches. It is not what the Lord has spoken. 
Some years ago, I was, um, I was sitting in my office. It was here in Pauly's Island. And it was a season in which the ministry that I was engaged in, called NAMS, the planting of new Episcopal churches, had come into great um, attack. The, the work I was doing was, was being um, undermined and spoken against in the Episcopal church. And I believe that God had called me to do the work. And, and I was in my human self, in my, in my fleshly self, I was, I was disturbed and I was uncertain and I was, I was being tempted to doubt. Had God really asked me to do that? Now, when I was asked to do it, it came through the lips of a bishop, but I did believe that what he asked me to do was from God. But I was in doubt, and, and, and it was a season uh, of, of struggle for me that n no one probably knew about but me, apart from my, my dear Cynthia. And there was a knock on the door, and a man, I said, come in, and a man came in I'd never seen before, I'd never met, I'd never heard of. He did not live in Pauly's Island. Um, and he, he sat down, and uh, he introduced himself. His name was... I remember his first name was Gordy. And I, I said, well, what makes you stop by to see me, Gordy? And he says, I have a word from the Lord for you. And I said, well, what is it? The Lord says, Nam's is not broken. Makes, makes the hair on my neck stand up even still. Well, I was being tempted to think it was. And he got up and left. <laughs> he, he, he was from Lexington, Kentucky. And he was walking around on the campus that day praying. And he thought the Lord told him to find the office of Nams and tell me Nams is not broken. Well... God immediately gave me joy. I believe that was a true word from God. Um, but I have learned through the years that it's a very dangerous thing for people to say, I think the Lord said this, or I think you should do that. I think the Lord wants you to do that. Because it's very possible that we are wrong. In fact, I would risk saying we are more often wrong than right when we think we have direction for another human being from the Lord. But hear me, God can do that. God can do that. Some years ago, when Cynthia and I left Pauly's Island after living here and, and enjoying our life here wonderfully for almost seven years, uh, we were called, we believed, to go to Charlotte and begin a new church. And so beginning in 2020, the summer of 2020, we went to physically be present with a group of people that I had been helping for some years to try to lay the groundwork to begin a new Anglican parish. And um, it came to be called King of Kings, a wonderful, wonderful title for a church, King of Kings Anglican Church. Started in the summer of 2000. Last year, it closed. 20, some 20 plus years afterwards. And the year before it closed, because I, 
though I was never invited back, a little sadness on my part, um, I followed their newsletter. And when it began to be digital, I always, I always read it. And about a year before the congregation closed, the then leader of the congregation wrote and said, while on retreat, the vestry and I heard from the Lord that we are to move the congregation to another part of Charlotte. And when I read it, I was disturbed. My spirit was disturbed. Now I've just come, Mike and I have just come from a vestry retreat of this congregation, which was a wonderful time and a blessed time. But none of us have come home from the retreat saying, the Lord spoke and we're supposed to do something and you all are supposed to obey it. But that's what happened in Charlotte. The rector and the vestry said, God told us to move the congregation. And so for the next year, the congregation was in turmoil and struggle with some leaving and some staying but being very disturbed and then being moved to another part of town after 20 years and in less than a year, the congregation collapsed and is gone. That was taking the name of the Lord in vain. That was not God's will. We are not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. And so we have to watch our speech and we have to be very, very careful whenever another human being dares to tell us something that we should do or believe because the Lord told them. The fourth commandment is to keep holy the Sabbath. Keeping holy the Sabbath um, is probably, for an American, one of the hardest commandments to obey. When Cynthia and I lived in Asia, we were in a 24-7 culture. Um, in Thailand, there is no Sabbath. And um, the Thai generally work like bees and ants. I mean, they are just, they work from sunup to sundown. Sometimes they work all night. They seem to have the gift of leaning against a wall and sleeping because you would see people literally on the sidewalks and in all kinds of public places just temporarily catching uh, a nap. But being in a culture that had never had a Sabbath was really shocking. Cynthia and me. Whereas when we were students in England, everything stopped on Sunday, except church. Everything. And, um, and as a boy, that was still true for me. Maybe it's true for some of you. To keep the Sabbath just literally <clears throat> meant in the teaching of our Lord uh, to Israel that from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday, you didn't work. <clears throat> you did not work. You had 24 hours that God had commanded to rest and to keep holy the life he had given you, the, the family he had given you, uh, the mind he had given you, the friends he had given you, the relationships he had given you. 
You were to keep the day holy. It was a 24-hour period. There were things that it was legitimate and legal to do. Anything that was truly good and holy could be done on the Sabbath. But it was also a day not to work. Well, very early in the, in the Christian era, the Christian church almost overwhelmingly moved the Sabbath to Sunday. Um, it's one of those things that happened so early in the Christian church that there is no record of it. Um, it just became, for Christians, the Sabbath was from sundown Saturday to sundown Sunday. There's a lot that we could say about that. I'll try not to, to focus on it. But when I was a boy, all the stores closed. There was one pharmacy in town. There were three, but one was open every Sunday afternoon from two to four. And they rotated it in case there was a medical emergency. There was a pharmacy open. But apart from that, everything was closed. And you think, how could that be? Well, people knew that was how it was. And so plans were made on Saturday to make sure you did whatever you needed to do because you weren't going to do it on Sunday or you couldn't do it on Sunday. And that began to erode in the 50s. And I've often wondered if why all the Ten Commandments are disobeyed now in America so frequently, so freely, so commonly. If it began when the Sabbath began to be ignored. As though we could decide a commandment of God didn't apply to us. Blatant disobedience to the commandments of God is said by Jesus to lead to judgment. The tree that, the tree that does not bear the fruit of obedience to God's will will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus teaches about false prophets today. <clears throat> and, and he says the ministry of a prophet, the whole of the scriptures show us, the ministry of a prophet is to speak the truth of God. To speak the truth of God. And though from time to time in human history, God taps a particular human being and gives them a prophetic ministry, an office, a duty to speak, on the whole, the Christian understanding of prophets is that we are to be truth speakers for God. That you and I, not because we're prophets with a capital P, but because we're servants of the living God, are to speak the truth that God has given us in our lives. It's not easy, but it it, it, it's meant to be your responsibility and mine. And the only way that we can be found to be true in that exercise, in that calling, is if we know the word of God, if we know the, the truth that God has revealed. Because the number one way to know that someone is not teaching the truth or not speaking the truth is to know what God's word says. And that means that every Christian must, must, if they are serious as a follower of Christ, 
learn to know and understand what the truth of God reveals, what the scriptures reveal. And the Ten Commandments are foundational. If someone knows the Ten Commandments at all well, it begins to lay a foundation for their understanding of all that God teaches, of all that God desires. It begins to be a framework for that. And that's why I challenged you in the later congregation last week and myself to make a list of the Ten Commandments this Lent and ask God to show you any way you are disobeying any of them. To show you if you are out of alignment with his wonderful and merciful and loving word. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. They are not meant to be an onerous burden to you. They are to be an act of love. If you love me, you want to keep my commandments. So we are asking the Lord this Lent to show us if we're out of line in any way. And for some of us, it's going to bring up memories of grievous sin from other times. Now, I hope that you know his forgiveness for that because every Sunday we ask for it. And the truth is, as it's always declared when the service starts, if we've asked faithfully for forgiveness, we are forgiven. But the memory, the memory does not go away. A lover of Christ is always grieved when they remember grievous disobedience. But I'm more concerned that we ask God to show us where we might be out of alignment today. Now, to know the truth of a prophet that's speaking the truth is to discover the character of their life. It is not that they can stand up and speak. It is, are their lives in alignment with what they say? A diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. And the fruit that Jesus describes and the scripture describes is of two kinds. One kind of fruit is inner character. How does this person live? How does this person relate to others? How does this person lay his or her life down for those that God has given them? How does this person's Alignment with the will of God reflect that they are hungering after the truth that he reveals. That's fruit to notice. Because you see, you can stand up and speak the truth and be a false prophet. If your life is not given to God. If you are not wanting God's will in your life. You can make a living preaching. You can have a career preaching. You can get accolades from the world and the church preaching. But you won't stand on the day of the Lord unless your life outside of your preaching is in the Lord's hands. It doesn't mean you're perfect. But the second way that God makes very clear we are to bear fruit is what happens in the lives of those that we influence or that we're around. When I tried to follow up on the dear man that brought that Nams is not broken word, I discovered 
that he had a terrible difficulty in being accountable to any other human being. That he was infamous in his hometown of Lexington, Kentucky for going from church to church and hopping around and being unwilling to be submitted to the life of the church in any local place because he was a prophet. And that's a very dangerous sign. A very dangerous sign. Now, I tried to have influence on him from afar because I was so grateful. I do think God gave him a word for me that day. So I don't think he was a false prophet in the sense that he's a wicked man and will go to hell, but I think he was a badly trained Christian who had gotten a prophetic calling of some kind. But it needs to be submitted to the church and to the word of God. Well, I'm off where I probably shouldn't have gotten this morning, but I just want to pull you back and pull myself back to the Ten Commandments. On the Saturday before last, when our new bishop was consecrated, the, the preacher was a Baptist preacher from Columbia, South Carolina, a good friend, apparently, of our new bishop, and he preached a stemwinder of a sermon. It was a glorious sermon. Um, I'm telling you, it, it made the day for me just to hear the sermon. But he preached from Luke chapter 13, 1 to 9, which is another parable that Jesus teaches about trees. And in that parable, a man planted a fruit tree in the middle of his vineyard. And he waited three years and came back and found there was no fruit on the tree. And so he told the master of the vineyard, or the, the vine dresser, he said, cut it down. Well, the guy in charge of the vineyard had been tending it for three years and he didn't want to cut it down. And so he pleads with the owner of the vineyard, give me one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll put manure on it and you come back in a year and then if there's no fruit, you can cut it down. And the, the, the owner of the vineyard consented. Well, the dear preacher a week and a Saturday ago said, um, that's a word for everyone in this room. God has planted you. Are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Is anybody in your life showing evidence of wanting to follow the Lord that you follow? Is anyone learning what you have learned from the Lord? Is anyone becoming a ripening piece of fruit because of your life? You've been planted for that to happen. And uh, in the classic way of the Baptist church, and certainly the African-American Baptist church, he had a, he had a refrain. You've been saved to serve, and you've been planted to produce. You've been saved to serve, and you've been planted to produce. Some of us are really good at serving, but we've been planted to produce. A healthy tree bears good fruit. And Lent is kind of a time when we get dug around. We're being dug around by the Spirit of God in Lent, and we're being manured <laughs> by the word of God in Lent. The Ten Commandments are meant to dig around us and manure us to, to want to be men and women who bear the fruit that God desires. So let's continue in this Holy Lent together.